Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts, and it is my pleasure today to have a very good friend and mentor on my journey uh, of grief, Carla Blowy. Carla is a certified dream work facilitator through the Mirror Institute for Projective Dream Work with founder Dr. Jeremy Taylor. The author of Dreaming Kevin, The Path to Healing, and a bereaved mother of 32 years, Carla facilitates individuals in group dream work sessions on-site and online and presents dream work programs for support groups and national bereavement organizations, weaving the values of spirituality with personal loss and transition for psychological and spiritual growth. Carla invites the dream images to speak their truth creating a space for grace to nourish and love to flourish. So with that, Carla, welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast, and I'm excited to have you on today. Hi, Dave. I'm so excited to be here with you. It's been a long time since we've been able to do uh, some face-to-face stuff. So yeah, excited. it has been the thing with friendship is that we could we could not talk for two years, and then we pick up and talk, and so we picked up where we left off, and that's a sign oh of true gosh. friendship. Yes, absolutely. We've always had that. That's been a a plus and a blessing. Given Carla's bio, Carla's bio, we're obviously going to get into all things with projective dream work, but before we do that, I really have to share the story in terms of how we met initially. It was, I believe it was in 2006. Carla had been the editor at that time of Living With Loss magazine. And I had subscribed to that magazine and found a lot of comfort, a lot of great resources from the great team of writers that she had assembled, including herself, that had helped me in the early phases in three years after my daughter Janine had transitioned due to a rare form of cancer. And I'd come back from teaching a course at what was then Utica College and is now Utica University and I found out that my subscription ran out and I started panicking. So I took a look at the number and it was, I think it was, a, it was from Montrose, Colorado. And I think, geez, probably nobody's going to be there at this time, but I'm going to call anyway and leave a message and tell them I want to renew my subscription. I called, lo and behold, Carla picked up the phone. And I think in retrospect, she was nudged to do that at that particular moment. She started asking me questions about my own specific story. I told her about my journey at up until that point with Janine, she had told me about her journey as a bereaved mother up here, up until that point. We hit it off. She asked me to write an article for the magazine, which I did. And then she had referred me to uh, the Compassion of Friends group in Nashville, Tennessee, to do, to, had recommended me to do a specific workshop. And from there, it snowballed into me doing workshops all over the place. But Carla gave me that nudge to, to get there. And Carl has also been involved in a couple of different conferences that I promoted I'll promote in upstate New York. And we've just been great friends and soul brothers and sisters, I think, for 
the last 17 years. That's actually in a nutshell how we met. And Carl, if you want to add anything to that, please feel free. But that's, as I remember it, 17 years earlier. So, Yes, and very accurate um, in your recollection, Dave. I remember that uh, generally I didn't answer the phone after 7 p.m. You know, in the evening, it was, I think it was about nine o'clock your time when you had called. And it was just one of those things where I didn't hesitate to answer the phone. And that synchronicity was a, I think it was a divine intervention to get us connected. And we must have talked for over an hour that first time. And then we've been talking ever since. It's right. We have been, and we've been involved in a lot of joint projects together and it's been fun. Always do I have such gratitude and appreciation for you and the projects that you invited me to join you on and that you hosted. I think the most inspiring times were getting to come to the college via Zoom web, to do the web things and, and meet your students who absolutely adore you. They were such great attendees to the little workshops that we gave them. Yeah, so if anybody from Utica University out there is listening, maybe it's time for a raise, huh? So, just, <laughs> yeah. just kidding, just kidding. I love doing yes, what I'm give doing. give it to him. He deserves it. Thank <laughs> Thanks, Carol. I'll, I'll run that over to our new president. I'll just say, here, this. But anyway, I guess we ought to get started. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. First of all, if you would, Please share with our listeners the events that have influenced your current life path or purpose. As I began this journey 32 years ago as a bereaved mother, and I always say I took the road less traveled because it turned out to be the high road because I chose the path of self-discovery and spiritual growth, and it led to healing the wounds of grief in my body, my mind, my heart, and my soul. And that significant point on the timeline of my life 32 years ago marked the death of my five-year-old son, Kevin, my awakening from the illusions I had of death in the afterlife, and my appreciation for dream work as a tool for healing. And so that point has become the organizing principle of my life. And it all began that day with a prophetic and precognitive dream about the death of my son, Kevin. It was a nightmare in the truest sense of the word, but nonetheless a dream. And it was a dream in which I had, had been given knowledge about an event in my immediate future, the death of my five-year-old son, Kevin, the transition that would occur for both of us in the execution of our spiritual contract individually, with each other and with the divine. Because less than 12 hours later, Kevin died in a bike truck accident in the driveway of our neighbor's home. To say I was devastated is an understatement. And every brief parent understands that. I was devastated by the waking nightmare and the synchronicity of the dreamed nightmare, because it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. Yet its truth was resonating throughout my being. 
I was overwhelmed, though, by guilt because I mistakenly thought that the nightmare, the dream, was a warning that I had ignored out of fear and that I didn't save him. I believed for a long while that I was responsible for Kevin's death, and I suffered greatly for that misperception. In the interim, I felt compelled to decode the ominous message of the nightmare. And we don't have time to go into what that was about. I would direct uh, listeners to go to my website. I, I have it posted there. There's lots of information about the book and some excer excerpts there. But so decoding the ominous message of this nightmare freed me from the perceptions and the illusions that I had about death. And it cleared the path for healing and it cleared the path and made way for more healthy grieving and enabled me to rebuild my life. Let's keep in mind that was three decades ago. I can't even believe it when I say that. Three decades. Because I remember thinking, I can't be, still be doing this kind, this level of pain and suffering for the next 40 years of my life. So remember that the bereavement landscape was very different than it is today. I didn't have the internet to connect with other bereaved parents. In my rural town, there were there was a general grief support group with a local church, but there was nothing for bereaved parents. And Dave, you'll understand when I say this, quite honestly, at that time, they didn't know what to do with us. Bereaved parents were unrecognized. And it wasn't for a lack of compassion, but more out of fear and a lack of understanding. I was very fortunate and blessed to have a mental health counselor who, and no, and, and no coincidence to this, all synchronicity, a counselor that I had five years before when I was grieving the death of my mother. And we reconnected immediately. She felt immediately called. And she was willing to companion me through this and embrace my need to work with my dreams. Because I, I remember there were sessions when I could not voice the unspeakable pain in my waking life. But I could read a dream from my dream journal. And those dreams illustrated in metaphor and symbols the emotional and mental pain and suffering that I was experiencing. So eventually I learned that those, my bizarre out of the ordinary frightening dreams were really designed to wake me up. They were designed to get my attention to a situation or an impending circumstance to gain understanding and acceptance and resolution. So as I moved through the grieving process, those grief dreams held as much value as the subsequent dream visits did. So... I learned that in ancient cultures and religions, dreams were valued for their guidance and their direct connection to the spiritual world. So I learned to trust again that in my dream world, my God would never take me where God's grace would not protect. So with that foundation, I could more easily examine what was happening. My initial perception of the nightmare was that 
I had failed to heed this warning and save Kevin. But then I learned that it really was my mind and my ego that had written its own story of the dream message and produced this nightmare because I was too afraid. I was too afraid to see the, the true interpretation, the prophetic message of the dream, which was that Kevin was being called to fulfill his destiny and I was being called to pursue mine. Living the nightmare, I was more awake than I had ever been. And that cloudy lens of illusion began to clear. He gave me this in-depth look that, at the status of my grieving So my excursions to the dream time then taught me about my relationships, about my life's journey, and about myself, offering this intimate look at the desires of my ego the intentions of my soul in the will of the divine. And it has continued to do so after 32 years. Yeah. So what began as an alternative tool to understand my inner world and overcome trauma really became a lifelong resource that I could apply to all the challenges and transitions in my life. And after I wrote and published Dreaming Kevin, I knew I was called to share what I'd learned to help other grieved, grieving parents who were also living the night. And so now as a certified dream work facilitator, I weave the values of spirituality with personal loss through the process and development of psychological and spiritual growth and healing in, in all aspects. So that's it in a nutshell. That's quite a nutshell. <laughs> that is quite a nutshell, but one of the things that I learned from our discussions with you about specifically my dreams is that one of the things I tell my students is if you dream about somebody dying, it may not necessarily be that person's going to die. It may be that person is in service to you, representing a, a part of yourself that's, that needs to die for continued growth or that needs to, yes. it's no longer serving you. So what appears on the surface to be a, a bad dream may actually be ripe with symbolism and teachings that can help us progress through any part of our lives, progress with mm -hmm. any particular challenge. It's just not necessarily grief. And we're going to get into that because I wanted to really have you explore in terms of other areas of our life besides grief, where dreams can inform us and dreams can provide us clarity. The other thing you mentioned, and I was talking with, to this with another guest, guest that I had recently, is that 30 years ago, there wasn't anything for anybody. Not really that too much. There wasn't yeah. the internet. There weren't a lot of grief support groups where I think just probably just in a starting stage, there wasn't really anything that we have now. Every decade or so, technology has given us so many gifts. And when the internet took off and we were able to connect that way, it was only with a chat. It was a a message board yep. and you had to i remember being able to leave a message a response to something that someone else had written and you had to wait a day to mm -hmm. get a message back mm -hmm. and then then it advanced to where we could do a chat and it was typing yep it was typing in we've come a long way but i still believe that the face-to-face one-on-one connection is the truest form of in relationship. Yeah, I think grief support loses a little bit of its luster when it's done exclusively through Zoom or through Google Hangouts or 
With the pandemic, I think, I know a lot of the individuals that I had in our chapter group just couldn't relate to Zoom. They wanted the face-to-face contact, but we mm-hmm. couldn't have it. And there was that sense of disconnect. And for anybody, bereaved individuals need that type of social contact. They need to have that type of intimacy face-to-face. They need to have that show of comradeship, that show of community. And it's tough to replicate that online. You can, but it loses again some of its luster. But And the most important piece of that is the exchange of energy and touch. How often would it be so beneficial that someone would touch your shoulder or touch your hand? Or if you felt comfortable enough, you were you could embrace mm-hmm. and receive a hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always give hugs, but I always ask for permission first because some people sure. some people don't want to be touched. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to be touched. I, I make sure I, I always, especially you know, with bereaved individuals who've experienced traumatic loss, whether it's a parent, whether it's a, a person losing son or daughter losing a, a parent. There's always that type of either initial shock where, or PTSD if it isn't, if, mm-hmm. if it isn't addressed. So I'm always very mindful of that. But, but yeah, you, like you mentioned earlier, there wasn't anything for bereaved parents 30 years ago. And there wasn't anything for really anybody who was bereaved 30 years ago because of the, because of the lack of online resources and the sophistication of the internet at that time. So that we've mm-hmm. come a long ways. Like I said, I still like the face to face in this situation a lot better. I know your specialty, which is certified in this projective dream work. Tell our listeners what projective dream work is and how it can help individuals obtain clarity after catastrophic loss. And I got a two-part question for you. It isn't more effective than just say, for example, straight dream interpretation. Okay. Great questions. They're loaded questions for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's start with where I began to work with a a dreamer to do dream work. I asked them to consider before we begin some of these questions. Would you be willing to consider that you have a choice about how a dream will impact you? Would you be willing to consider that you choose, you can choose to allow the grief dreams, the nightmares, and the bad dreams to possess you, feeling more insecurity, fear, and guilt? Would you be willing to consider that there are no bad dreams, that there are only dreams that take a dramatically negative turn to inform, to get your attention about an issue that needs reconciling? Would you be willing to choose to see your dreams differently by shifting your perspective? to see the healing power of the dream characters, the imagery, the symbols, and the landscape. Would you be willing to consider, then, that all dreams come to us in the service of health and home? Because here's my understanding about how dream work works. My soul is always trying to bring itself into balance. And it points out through messages, through lessons, situations, circumstances, the emotional, physical, and spiritual issues that need my attention. 
in a dream, the symbols and the images and the recurring themes and the odd characters from my personal history are scripted and performed like a movie on this private screen behind my eyes. Compelled by curiosity or fear, I am the captive audience viewing this theatrical presentation of the most intimate and private part of my life. My fear of being overwhelmed by the frightening and undesirable aspects of the dream forces me to escape the situation where I literally leave what I call the dream theater by waking up and leaving the dream message incomplete. The more fearful I am of the dream images, the more power I give the dream and its perceived negative aspect. I can choose to live more consciously, and my dreams will then tell me how to do that if I look for the gift in the dream. In doing so, then the transformative power of dream work can help us bridge the gap between heartache and healing. Now, projective dream work and the projective format is so empowering because it offers the dreamer an opportunity to see the dream differently from another person's perspective rather than receive a biased and judgmental interpretation. So whether we unpack a dream one-on-one -on -one or in group, we always have the opportunity to view the dreamer's dream through our imagined version of the dream that is seen through a unique lens based on our age, our gender, our culture, our religion, history, memory, experiences, and our personal association. So keeping in mind that only the dreamer knows for sure what the dream means for them, this projective feedback then triggers the dreamer's memory for greater dream recall and offers a richer and deeper view of dreamers' associations to the symbols and the characters in the dream. We In dream work, we know that all feedback is projective because it's based on our personal experiences and our associations that we have with the content of the dream. A projection is when we unconsciously take the traits about ourselves that we find unacceptable and attribute it to someone else in the dream. So in a dream, those traits show up in the characters that appear in the dream. So I can never see your dream the way you saw it in your dream theater on your dream screen. I can only see it through my imagined version of your telling it. Now, that said, projective dream work uses a specific language for giving feedback. And we, we need to understand how threatening statements can be very uncomfortable in this setting. So we use non-threatening statements such as, if it were my dream, I see, I recognize, I wonder, I notice, I feel, and then fill in the blank of whatever that is. Or we can use... Another statement, a non-threatening statement 
in my magic version of your dream. In fact, Dave, we just did that. Yeah, we did. Because when we were when we were talking, I, it just naturally because I, I this is my life's passion and my life's work, and it is come so natural to me. As soon as you told me a piece of a dream before we before we came on, I immediately went to my magic birds of your dream. I'm blah 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 blah, and it started discussion. So anyway, it's delivered without judgment or interpretation. So this means that even relatively challenging comments to the dreamer can be made in such a way that the dreamer may be able to hear it and internalize them. And then at any time in that process, the dreamer can experience what we call the aha. And that's when the dreamer connects the dots and knows at a gut level that something must be true. So only the dreamer then can say with any certainty what meanings his or her dream may have. And so it comes in the form of this wordless aha recognition because the aha is a uh, a function of memory mm-hmm. and is the only reliable touchstone of the dream work. The thing that I like about the projective dream work format is that it starts out with, if this were my dream, if this were my imagined mm-hmm. version of a dream, this is what I would look at. What it does is empowers the individual to want to either take a look at it, look at some aspects of what you've projected to them or projected or relate to them, or they can look at all of it. So it, gives, it empowers them to pretty much determine, define their truth within what you have pre- revealed through your eyes. And just speaking from the context of grief, whenever we experience catastrophic loss, like both you and I have experienced the unthinkable, it's disempowering in a lot of ways. And it disempowers us on physically, cognitively, emotionally. So to, to be given an opportunity to be empowered, even if it's just for a brief moment where we can exercise our free will, that's liberating in and of itself. And I think that can be transformative in and of itself to say, hey, we have a choice. We have a choice as to how we to how we look at our reality. Yes, absolutely. And choice is the key word. Any point during this process of dream work, the dreamer has the choice as to how far, how deep, how long they want to go with this. Generally, being in a supportive group, whether it's two or more people, or even I've been in in dream groups of 30 people, it is so amazing to me the the feedback, the, the projections that come out and that are offered to the dreamer in such a compassionate way. And, and so I think that there's a tendency to be afraid of hearing what other people think about this crazy dream that I had. Mm-hmm. And yet, once you get into it and, and they start receiving this compassion, this feedback in a compassionate way, it, it really opens the door to seeing differently without judgment, without interpretation, without feeling threatened. I love the aha piece of it. Me too. And I love the fact that the way you do projective dream work creates a very safe and nurturing environment for the dreamer. And Mm -hmm. that is 
particularly important. The safety and structure, I think, can help help with any individuals that have challenges with anxiety, with depression, who are experiencing, are in the throes of grief or going through any other life transition. That type of safe and secure setting, I think, is important for them to become comfortable to, to disclose and become comfortable to simply be. Yes. And to that point, Dave, thank you for, for saying that, because the other thing that's important to remember is that as a facilitator, I am not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I am facilitating. It's peer support, which is which is what I love about this. Granted, I have decades of experience with this, which I bring to the table with an inexperienced streamer or an experienced streamer as well. But it's not a substitute for therapy. And so I have a lot of clients who love being able to have this casual, safe environment to begin the process. And then they take it to their counselor. They take it to their therapist and unpack it even more. And I think what we're seeing more and more, at least what I'm seeing more and more, is you're seeing the the meeting of the best of both worlds. You're seeing the meeting of traditional therapy with holistic therapies. And they're coming together in an integrated fashion. And I believe together they can improve not only physical health outcomes, but also emotional and mental health outcomes as well, too. And I think that's important. And one of the things on on my ongoing, I call a journey of learning, is that I'm learning about that the worlds of both science and spirituality can coexist quite nicely and can give us maybe together more clarity on certain aspects of our life than than either one of them separately. So I'm a firm believer in kind of that type of belief expansion using different perspectives, different philosophies, which is dream, dreams. Every time I was telling Carla before I started recording, every time I talk to you, I have a dream. And (laughs) the dream we were talking about, just in case anybody's curious, was I had a dream that I saw seven coyotes running on a plane. And uh, I wasn't sure if it was first seven foxes, but then seven coyotes. And immediately when I told Carla about that, she went right into projective dream work mode. And now I got some stuff to think about. So, um, we've talked before, and we'd mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Can projective dream work be helpful to dreamers in other areas of their lives besides navigating through grief? What is the applicability? And I think it's important, as especially as we progress later on in our later in our grief journeys, that we begin to take the tools that we learned to help navigate and transform our grief into transforming other areas of our lives so that we can live a purposeful life, not only of service, but a purposeful life just, I don't want to say light, just being the best person that we could possibly be for the time that we have left. Mm-hmm. To be our best version of ourselves yep. at the time in relationship. Sure. Absolutely, yes. I The basic tenets of dream work can be applied to every aspect of our lives. And once I realized that early in the grief journey, like I would say the first three years, it was just all about processing and integrating the loss and the devastation of that. And then it was like, oh my gosh, these are, what about the other dreams? There's the, I can easily identify these grief dreams, but what about those other dreams? They were all encompassing and there really wasn't, there wasn't a line delineating between the two. They, they just were. And, and I, for me, I realized that 
dream work was an opportunity to embark on a spiritual path of an individuation. And so for me, that meant reconciling uh, conflicts and the challenges that arise in the entire life journey. And loss and transition are a part of that. There are many aspects of loss, many aspects of transition, whether it's relationship, whether it's the death of a loved one, career, jobs, getting along with your neighbors. It encompasses every aspect. Our dreams reflect the changes and the growth in our life, especially during those times of loss and transition. But remember what I said in the beginning was that all dreams come to us in the service of health and wholeness. So they can then reflect the status of our life journey, uncover the issues and the hidden agendas that block the path to acceptance and reconciliation in whatever the subject is, whatever the topic category is. They can they invite us to process in the safety of our inner world, gaining those insights and guidance to thrive in the outer world. They allow us to act out behavior or emotions that are deemed unacceptable to ourselves and others. They can deepen and improve our connections with our family members, our colleagues, our friends, and our deceased loved ones by bringing compassion and understanding to the relationships. And then they can offer strategies and creative solutions for our emotional, our mental, physical, and spiritual well-being in the inner and the outer world. So there's, yes, a big yes. The other thing, this question just came to me now, and I've had my students, I've had other individuals say, I want to remember my dreams. I want to be able to incorporate dreams as part of my toolbox, but I can't mm -hmm. remember my dreams. Do you have any tips, suggestions for individuals who want to remember their dreams or what they can do to put themselves in dream mode? Oh, you know I do. Of course, I. that's why I asked that question. Yes, you know I do. First again, I go back to the acknowledgement that all dreams come to us in the service of health and wholeness. Because the key to unlocking the messages in the dreams is to learn the language of dreams, which is a symbolic language that speaks a truth that can't be denied. The dream symbols, archetypal images, metaphor, mythology, scripture, and our personal History become the resources that the dream writers use to convey the message. And the dream writers, meaning the partnership between the soul and the divine, who invite participants, characters, to help inform us. So that's number one. Number two is setting an intention that we want healing. Do we really want it? And are we willing to? accept the way healing is going to show up in our life instead of trying to manipulate or orchestrate or judge it. So with that intention then, before we go to sleep, I suggest to people, or before you go to sleep, I suggest to people to set an intention that you want healing an intention that you're willing to accept healing in whatever way is designed and presented to you. Set an intention that we want to remember our dreams and that we're ready to receive the message 
in whatever form it takes without rejection or judgment. And then third, begin a daily practice of recording in a journal whatever details of the dream we can recall. So what this does is create a reference point where we can begin to recognize the personal symbols, the recurring themes and the characters and what they mean to us in the context of our, our personal history. It's an opportunity really to begin to write your own dream dictionary and to watch for the patterns and to watch for the repetitive symbols and characters that show up. And then fourth, it's sharing those dreams. Speak the dream. A shift occurs when we speak the dream aloud. And we bring it from the inner world to the outer world. Because in hearing the dream, we can ultimately see the dream from someone else's perspective and also from our own. So speaking, hearing, and seeing the aspects of it trigger dream recall, triggers an aha, and invites the dreamer into a relationship. So there's little tricks. There's definitely tricks. I call them tricks, but there's definitely other things that I call, that I think are important, like sleep hygiene, like so many of us hold on to that phone until the last second we go to sleep. We're looking at it to read an article or we're just scrolling because we can't go to sleep or there's something that we wanted to catch up on or it's the text message with our kids or someone who's needing listening. All of those things are distractions before we go to sleep. And so sleep hygiene, setting up your environment to enter to enter a restorative sleep and also to encourage dreaming and dream recall is really important. Yeah, I remember all of that information as well from the, the presentations you did to my classes in terms of good sleep hygiene, setting the intent for dreaming, setting the intent to remember, having a dream journal available to write down details that you can remember of the dream, even having a little uh, a pad at the side of your bed so that you can just write down an outline, certain things you want to remember to expand on later, and all those things I know are helpful. And I know what I've written my dreams out, it's just been, it's wow, you know, it just provides a lot of clarity. And then, of course, when yeah. I talk to you about them, I, I get more clarity because that is why you are known in the, the circles as the dream queen. So, well, I don't know about but that. But yeah, I mean, you. you are the, the, <laughs> the go to person for projective dream work. So, you know, you're, there's you and there's everybody else's like second. So that's, that's for me. I'm, that's a, probably a little bit of a biased opinion because I've known you yes. for years. But I was going to say it's very biased and I'll take it and I love you for it. I love you too. So, anyway, to wrap up, any takeaways from your life path that you can share with our listeners that may help them in theirs? I think that. The real work in this comes from, comes with a commitment to go beyond our comfort zone, to go deeper, to uncover those hidden obstacles in the meaning of the dream. And that takes work, takes courage. 
And finding a, finding not necessarily a dream group, that person, your person that you trust, that you can share these dreams with, that you can speak and hear and see differently with, because you have a strong foundation of trust is, I think, essential to this. And that has been my, that's been my saving grace over, over the years. And I also want people to understand that my story, my dream is my own and your story, your dream is your own and that we will recognize and embrace one another in each other's dreams. Don't be blind or intimidated by someone else's extraordinary experiences in dreaming. Just examine your own dreams for the extraordinary within them. Bring your story from the inner world to the outer world where it can be illuminated and acknowledged and validated and of service. Because in doing so, you give the community the gift of your experience, empowering yourself and others with insight and reflection to encourage personal change and spiritual growth. And then in turn, the potential for changing perceptions about death and grief and suffering and loss and life transitions spreads to the greater community. And this raised consciousness enables us to serve, to explore, to create and we can we can find more creative and healthier approaches to grieving and model an authentic path to heal. Very eloquently said as always, Carla. Thank you for that. I think that's some valuable insights and valuable valuable information. So thank you for that. Our listeners will too. If I could add one more thing, David, I think it's really easy to be in the throes of loss, in the very beginning, in the aftermath of the initial shock, and to look at someone like us mm-hmm. who are 30 and 20 years down the line and go, oh my gosh, it must not have affected them that much. Look at them. They're living. It doesn't look like they're grieving anymore. It's not like that at all. We live with it daily. The difference is that we found the alternative tool that have become a, we've expanded our toolkit, I guess I would say, in that it's not just about the immediate trauma, immediate loss, we know that processing that is a lifelong journey. It didn't come easy to us. It did not come any easier to us. We're just further down the line. And we were blessed and fortunate to encounter some amazing people along the way that helped us do that. And every person that has come come into my path, you and, and others that have come and others that have come into my path, you, Patty is came in at, at the time that they that they were supposed to come in 
And it's led me to the, this present moment. The growth is still continuing. And the grief goes on. I grieve, but it's more integrated. And I, like I have, I'm more, I have more alternative strategies that I use now to deal with it that I've learned. And so I can accept the fact that I'm going to have days where I will be grieving. But I know that I can pick any tool in that toolbox now and just use it as I see fit based on the situation and based on what I'm experiencing. With that, how can listeners get in touch with you? How can they find you? Tell us more about your services, what you provide for projective dream work for individuals who want it, and how can they purchase a copy of your book? Okay. You can get the book on Amazon. Just type in Dreaming Kevin, The Path to Healing, and it'll come up, the 2014 expanded edition that has the original the original story and then the afterword, which is another piece about the impact that Kevin Steph had on the children that, that were his friends and cousins. Very powerful second half of the book, and I am really proud of being able to combine the two into one book. So you can get that on Amazon. Uh, go to my website, dreamingkevin.com. Several tabs across the top that will show you um, workshop opportunities, one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one, uh, dream work opportunities where we can do it by phone, we can do it by Zoom or Google Meets, uh, can do it by email, have lots of um, options there for people to share dreams with me, and uh, whether it's individually or in a group. I like to also offer to people the option to customize dream groups. You pick your friends, pick your trusted friends to join you in a night of dream sharing. And we can do that online or in person. In person, limited obviously here to my local area, or I still travel within Colorado. And, and the workshop thing can also be done online as well. So I have a Facebook page. It's Carla Blowy, Dreaming Kevin. You can contact me by messenger on that and or by email, dreamingkevin2014 at gmail.com. And all of that will be in the show notes when we the episode goes public. With that, Carla, thank you so much for joining me today on the Teaching Journeys podcast. It was always a pleasure. My honor. My honor to always be with you, Dave. I am uh, very grateful to you again, as I said before, for all the opportunities that you provided for projects that we could work together on and that I could share this incredible tool. And with that, that's another wrap at another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. And please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating review or both.